Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning dear friends and saunterers. We are back again. Genesis chapter 13 today. And what an interesting chapter. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you as we look at your word. We ask you to speak to us. And once again, we invite you into our homes, into our places of work, into our hearts, just to fill everything and just let your love and your power shine through us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Great to see you, Kathy. Hope you're well. Chapter 13 of Genesis. Now we heard um, yesterday, didn't we, about Abraham encountering a famine in the land that God had told him to go to. So he does the kind of perhaps naturally wise thing. He heads off to Egypt, which is known for its um, fertile delta, where there's lots of food potentially. And he goes down there. But then when he's there, he lies about his wife because she's so gorgeous he's worried that someone's going to kill him and steal his wife so he says she's his sister and so on but it's really interesting how it ends up with plagues coming on the family of pharaoh and pharaoh letting god's people go literally kind of prelude to the great exodus later on um or a preview if you like um foreshadowing really interesting but is well i think probably what the most <laughs> challenging thing from that is is that pharaoh rebukes the man of god and so here's this man pharaoh the king of what represents worldly systems in the bible egypt is usually used as a metaphor for worldly systems and stuff and here we have the worldly king rebuking the man of God the man with all the promises the man who God's favor is on and he's he's more honorable than than um Abraham in this story which is really interesting but we're on chapter 13 today so if you want to if you missed yesterday's you can find it on YouTube and you can find it on Facebook um it just gets a little bit more tricky sort of plowing back through Facebook so we put them up on YouTube for the future so here we are, uh, chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, <laughs> we're now calling her his wife again, which is good, and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now, this is a this is a sort of hilly, wildernessy type of region. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, 
to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, or Ai, I don't know how you pronounce these words, to the place where he'd made an altar at first. There Abraham, or Abram, called on the name of the Lord. So he's retracing his steps. Good morning, Fran. Great to see you. And I uh, hope things go well with Colin and his eye. And good morning, Pat and Mike. Uh, so um, Abram is retracing his steps back to Bethel and I or Ai, where he'd had this encounter with God and where he built an altar. And he's kind of, I think, I like to think, maybe I'm reading into it, I think he's probably feeling a little bit kind of rebuked by Pharaoh. I think he's probably feeling a bit of a idiot for his treatment of his wife. I hope he was feeling a bit shameful about that because it was pretty poor. And he's retracing his steps back to the place where he'd encountered God and where he'd made that altar to God in the first place when he'd set foot in the land of Canaan. <clears throat> and it's always really, really good. This is a great principle of life. And then whenever we've messed up a bit and we're feeling a bit, oh boy, I've messed up. This, that's the time to return back to that place of encounter, to go back to those moments where we met with God and to call on the name of the Lord again, to seek him out, to engage with him on purpose, rather than kind of hoping he'll come and find me somewhere when I'm all feeling sorry for myself and all broken. Let's go back to where we met with him. Let's get into that place again where we were before and just get our hearts back to that place of receptivity. And he's calling on the name of the Lord, which is the name of Yahweh, the covenantal, relational God. And he's saying, God, come on, meet with me again. And uh, so there he goes and he calls on the name of the Lord. But then it tells, starts. we start hearing a bit more about Lot. So, so far, Lot has just been mentioned um, Abraham is now super rich. He's got lots of gold and silver. He's obviously done quite well out of his little stay in Egypt. But he's not only that, he's clearly a great herdsman, a great farmer, an entrepreneur and all of those things. And God's favour has been on him in that respect. And he's got all these flocks and all these um, staff working for him, looking after his sheep and goats and stuff. So it says, um, verse 5, and Lot... Um, who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. That's really interesting. That's got kind of lots of whoo, possibilities, hasn't it? If we think about that, they both had prospered. They were both doing really well. And thank God that he does bless us and prosper us and all the rest of it. Um, that is different to the prosperity gospel, just going to say, but there is that sense in which God's favour comes on those who are walking with him and rest on. And it's often identifiable that God is blessing a person. Well, I think when God is blessing someone, it's always identifiable. But in Abraham and Lot's case, it was identifiable in that they just got wealthy and they, they became kind of... Um, significant people in the region so much so and I love that statement that their possessions made it impossible for them to live together so they they just could not occupy the same physical space anymore because they had two massive farms and they needed a lot of 
real estate to allow these sheep and goats and stuff to get fed and everything. Um, so good morning, Johnny and Wills, Raymond. Great to see you guys. Um, so they just had too much stuff. And, and it wasn't like necessarily that they were like each other, but they needed room to spread out and be all that they were meant to be. And sometimes when God blesses us, even in ministry and those kind of things, or maybe business, uh, sometimes we just need to spread out a bit and kind of make room for each other to grow and operate so that we don't kind of stifle each other's progress. And so here's this moment where they need to make a strategic separation. We're on chapter 13, Wills. Um, uh, they need to make this strategic separation in order for them both to continue to prosper and succeed. But sometimes our stuff can hinder our relationships just on a purely practical level. Sometimes we can be so preoccupied with our stuff that we forget to build the relationship with the our kinsmen, our, our people, um, the people that we're supposed to be working alongside or whatever. We can get so swallowed up with all our things and sometimes it's possession and with possessions comes responsibility and all the rest of it. And these things can sabotage our relationships. However, I think in this case, what we're talking about is a strategic need for them to part company and go their separate ways. And actually, God had called Abraham to leave his father's house and to come away from all of that. But he actually, this had been a slow process of leaving and he'd still had his nephew Lot tagging along with him. And you can imagine at times this just getting a bit too much. Anyway. So then, uh, so there was, so they were, they, their possessions were so great, verse six, that they could not dwell together. Verse seven, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So they weren't the only people there, although you do get the sense from the narrative that there was a lot of space and there was room for them. They just needed to spread out a bit. Um, so these Canaanites and Perizzites were also around, but they didn't seem to be in any way hostile to each other. It seemed to be a fairly good humoured sort of thing at the time. Verse um, eight, then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're, we are kinsmen. This is really important. Abraham understood relationship he understood family he understood that there is a covenant between a family whether we like it or not and we are our brother's keeper and all the rest of it and so he's saying like let's not fall out over this lot and let's not let this strife between our our staff cause a problem between us let's not fight and make it an issue but let's make room for each other so he says verse nine is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me if you take the left hand then I will go to the right if you take the right hand I will go to the left and so he's saying to Lot listen son you you have first choice look there's this whole big world out there why don't you step out in the direction you want to go in with your herds and flocks and I'll take the opposite direction and then we can make room for each other but you you choose first so here we go very gracious Abraham well done and Lot lifted up his eyes 
and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord. Remember the Garden of Eden? This was what the Jordan Valley looked like to Lot as he looked at it and surveyed it all. He's thinking, wow, this looks like the Garden of Eden. This is so good. I'd like to go there. And so he, it was like the, it was like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Wow, this is pretty pretty kind of explicit, isn't it? So Lot is making this judgment. He's looking with his eyes. He's thinking, this is good. Wow. This is so prosperous. It must be the blessing of God. And he's making a mistake. He's assuming that because this place is prosperous and lush and everything else, that this is the blessing of God. So we mustn't just make this simple assumption that if someone's rich, God is blessing them. The city, the region of Sodom and Gomorrah was wealthy, but it was very, very wicked. Now, Abraham in choosing or Abraham in choosing to let Lot go first, he was saying, I trust God that wherever he sends me, he's going to bless me. He's going to take care of me. His heart was not so fussed about seeing the wealth of um, the valleys and thinking, oh, I wish I had all of that. Now, this is really interesting because our hearts can get seduced by things if they if we're already if we already have a divided heart now i believe abraham in spite of his shortcomings was single-minded in his commitment to serving god i think sometimes he got his brain got in the way and he tried to work it out himself and ended up making the wrong conclusion but on the whole we see him consistently choosing to honor God and to put God's, you know, put put this mission that he'd been sent on to go to the land, he put that first. And so he's trusting that God's going to watch over this thing. Whereas Lot, his heart is already divided. He kind of fancies a life for himself and a name for himself. And he thinks down there in the city or near the city, I don't have to go right into it, of course. I can be near it and enjoy the benefits of it. And his, he was kind of his heart was already kind of attracted by the wrong thing. And so, but this this last line there, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That is such a such a strong word, isn't it? And it reminds us of what God said about the time of Noah. Good morning, Johnny. It's it's like the time of Noah. It's like the time of Babel, where the Men's hearts are wicked and they're choosing wickedness. And this is a city. These are two cities which are almost like built around sin and wickedness and rebellion. And there's these two guys really who got, who have been called out by God. Now, obviously, Abraham had and Lot had tagged along. And it, we really do see that the call on Abraham those values weren't shared entirely by Lot and he was going along for the ride and enjoying the prosperity of being Abraham's nephew and sharing in his wealth. But 
his heart is divided. He's not loyal to God in the same way that Abraham is. <coughs> so here we go. So they separate and Abraham goes into the less attractive region of the Negev. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had left, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. So this is just such a moment. So they've had this separation, this strategic parting of ways. We don't hear of them crying or sobbing or anything like that. It seems to be fairly matter of fact. Off they go. Lot goes off. And the moment Abraham is on his own, boom, God starts speaking to him and reaffirming the promise. But not only that, he's saying, listen, Abraham, doesn't matter what Lot's chosen. I'm going to give it to all to you anyway. I'm going to give you as far as you can see north and south and east and west. It's all going to be yours and to be going to belong to your descendants so don't even worry <laughs> which is very very cool isn't it so when we put God's priorities first in our lives we don't have to worry about him taking care of our needs he will provide for us he will keep his promises for us we don't have to fight to get every single ounce of what is ours by right when we have God fighting for us. And I love that relaxed kind of faith that Abraham demonstrates in this little story. So he says, God says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see. Everything you can see with your eyes, Abraham, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Now, however much we talk about the conflict in the Middle East and how difficult it is. We we do see these promises that are so emphatic to Abraham that God was giving him that land. Now, even at the time of this conversation with God, there were other inhabitants there. We'd already heard about it. The Canaanites, the Perizzites were already there. Down in the valley, the men of Sodom were already there. There was already stuff going on in that region, but God was going to give that. Or in the, in this conversation, God is giving it to Abraham and his descendants forever. So he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can, sorry, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So he's saying, this is he's using extravagant language. He's saying, you know how hard it is, impossible to count the dust of the earth. Well, that's what it's going to be like with your children, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be so numerous. You will never be able to count them all up. Then he says, verse 17, arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And this is a really interesting thing. It's, I, I think it's been preached about millions of times about that kind of walking out and surveying the land, even though technically maybe legally you don't yet own it in the in terms of you don't hold the title deeds in your hands physically yet Abraham is possessing this by faith as he walks around he's he's saying God this is great thank you God for what you're given to me and my descendants I receive it 
thank you, Lord. I don't know how he spoke to God. I don't know how often he spoke to God, but he had this kind of moment of encounter with God where he knew God was speaking to his heart and he knew God was making him this promise. And so then he went up and down in the land and just enjoyed it. So he said, walk. so God said, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, Hebron means fellowship. And Hebron also is a one of these place names that keeps turning up again and again and again in the story of the nation of Israel in the, as recorded in the Bible. And it one at one time just before, well, prior to Joshua and Caleb coming into the land, Hebron had become a stronghold occupied by giants, the sons of Anak. And uh, excuse me, they they occupied this place, which had been a place where God had spoken to Abraham all those years before, where Abraham had worshipped the Lord all those years before. And we need to contend for those places of encounter and just say, God, come on, we've met you here. We're going to meet you here again. We, we, this place of fellowship, we are contending for it. We're, and I just anyway, there's loads to think about in this story. But when God promises something to us, we can count on it. When he speaks to us clearly, um, we can count on him because he's faithful to deliver what he's promised. In Jeremiah, it says, the Lord watches over his word to perform it. And I know, just looking at that some of the names that are coming up here, you guys, God has promised you stuff. We do have an enemy. We do have to contend sometimes. We do have to go to war sometimes. We do have to get out there and engage with the enemy when he's on our patch. And it, in my own circumstance in this past two years I have been contending like crazy for my family and some other promises of God you know and so I'm going to continue to do that and I would encourage you to continue to contend for those things and just go back to those moments where God spoke to you is really helpful if you don't keep a journal maybe you should start where you just put down when God speaks to you and you're pretty sure it's God write it down in a journal, put a date beside it, and you can go back to it. I literally, no kidding, I'd written something in my journal one day, and the next day, someone called me and said, I will take care of that, and basically mean, meant them shelling out a thousand pounds. I didn't ask them to do that, I'd not even made a thing about it, but I, we had a need um, and suddenly I get this phone call, a thousand pounds, but God had spoken to me the day before and he says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to pay for it. And the next day someone rings up and says, yeah, I'll pay for it. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. And I didn't even remember that God had spoken to me the day before and said that he would take care of it. And then the day after I was flicking through and I saw that I'd written that down and put a date beside it. And I thought, wow, God, that was super quick. I would love it if you would answer all my prayers that quickly. But it's just so interesting, really, just to say that I had forgotten what God had said the day before. And so it is helpful to write these things down. And when what 
Abraham was doing when he built these altars. He was saying, this is a place where I've met with God. This is a place I'm going to come back to and I'm going to meet with God again on this same spot. And having gone to the bother of constructing an altar made of stones, he knew where to find it. He knew how to get there. And it was a reminder. And every time he saw it and he's out in the morning taking his early morning constitutional, he'd have seen the altar and thought, yeah, God, you've spoken to me in this place. So let's go after those promises lay hold of them, thank God for them, speak them over our children, speak them over our situation, speak them out loud. And let's not just allow our circumstances to drive us down into some little horrible shadow of what we should be, but let's be courageous men and women of God who know know how to go after what God has said. So just just to wrap it up then, sometimes we do need to make a strategic separation and to make room for each other and it's not by falling out but it's by agreement that we make those steps and they can be a significant step forward so listen whatever challenges decisions situations you're facing today may god bless you give you wisdom and super grace to walk it out in a really godly way and have loads of fun in jesus name god bless you take care Bye-bye. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page and my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. uh, Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.